This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Honan, providing a complete range of insurance, risk, and financial solutions. Well, Andrew Chapman from Merchant Funds Management, very excited to have you. Uh, if you're first time on Talk Your Book, you're one of the inaugural guests on Masters of Market and backed by uh, popular demand. Thanks for, for coming on the show. That's right. Thanks for having me, mate. It's uh, good to be back. And uh, what stock do you want to talk about today? Look, our, our stock of the moment that we've uh, we've got a decent position, it's a company called Race Oncology, RAC is the code. And talk me through there, yeah, the basic premise of Race, what do they do? Oh, look, it's an oncology drug. Um, it's an orphan drug that um, was around in the 80s called Byzantine. Um, most recently, they've been doing some trials um, out of Israel, showed, uh, showed some pretty good efficacy in those trials. Um, the company, you know, has raised money recently, which we've participated in. You know, stock's trading at about 90 cents at the moment. We've been involved since uh, about a year or so ago. One of my colleagues um, highlighted it to us. And then um, we bought our initial stake at about 14 cents, uh, went again at 30 cents with a, a director that was selling down some um, some stock. So, And we did a placement there at 30 cents at the same time. And then again, just recently at 60. So it's been a, it's been a good little win for us over the last 12 months. An interesting story. So the drug was initially discovered in the 70s. They did about 40-odd phase two studies during the 1980s, and then it just sort of almost got forgotten about. Do you want to maybe talk us through the, the history and, and what's happened there? Yeah, that was, um, look, it was, it was an orphan drug previously approved in, in, in actually France, in, in a, and I think it was the late 80s and by big pharma and they did a lot of trials and whatnot. And then over a period of time for whatever reason, you know, drugs become orphaned. Um, just like, I guess, mining tenements become dropped and whatnot, if you look at it in that, that sort of um, way. So they did a lot of phase trials back in the 80s and early 90s. Um, response rate, rate was pretty good. Um, and then again, recently, it's just come back into, um, race actually was an IPO back in 2016. Um, and uh, at that stage, you know, the stock IPO'd at 20 cents, went to about 60 cents and then and then fell out of love for, for various reasons, um, you know, in terms of um, management change strategy and, you know, the, the normal sort of stuff that happens in, in biotechs. So their, their CEO uh, and Chief Scientific Officer, Daniel Tillett, is, is pretty well known to a lot of small cap uh, WA investors. Talk me through his role in the company and maybe why you think he was attracted to it? Yeah, look, he's um, he, he's a very interesting guy, very, very intelligent. Um, and, you know, in, in, in sort of in talking about my course of biotech investing over a period of years, it's like you, you've got to try and find that, that really smart scientific guy who's also very, very commercial. And, um, and you know, without being offensive to anyone in that industry, there's not a huge amount of those people around. There's a lot of very smart scientific people, but then they're not necessarily commercial. And then there's a lot of really commercial people that aren't necessarily scientific. So, uh, so Dr. Tillett is uh, is obviously a very smart, um, commercially focused scientist. Uh, and and as you know, you know, investing in this space, in the biotech space, it's quite um, unusual to try and find a person who's commercially you know orientated. 
um, with a scientific background. So he runs his own DNA sequencing company out of Sydney, which is a very profitable company in its own right. So over a um, period of time, he's avoided investing in biotech stocks um, with the belief that a lot of them have been lifestyle companies or they've been fully valued or even overvalued. So he's generally a resource investor. Um, and then it occurred during one day, you know, someone was asking him for his opinion on a biotech stocks. And he said, look, I don't really have any opinion. And so then he, uh, he decided to do some research himself. So he got a list of all the biotech companies, essentially started at A and worked his way down to Z. Um, went through them and did some DD and, and you looked at things like market caps, you know, percent ownerships, cash balances, those sort of things. Came across race. And, uh, and at the time, race was trading at about five cents a share. So pretty, pretty small market cap. He approached the company, put his own money in via replacement. That was at a premium to the current share price at the time. Um, and then uh, and then got invited onto the board and has ended up running it now. And he's the chief scientific officer as well as the CEO. That's how it sort of came about. So he put his own money where his mouth is, which I think is fantastic. And you back those sort of people every day of the week. There, there are, in a way, a lot of similarities to biotech stocks and resource stocks. Probably, you know, that long lead time to cash flows, unlikely that you'll ever get cash flows from it. Uh, yeah. But if you do, we really outsize return. How do you sort of frame that risk profile? You know, do you try and sell down on the way up and reduce some of your risk? Or are you one of these investors that if you've done the work, you're, you're confident in the team and the science behind it, you're happy to ride it through all the way to the commercial transaction. Yeah, that, look, that's a really good point, actually, Chris, because, you know, in this particular scenario in race, for instance, which is a, if, if you do draw the analogy between a mining company, then, you, you know, you're dead right. Because if I do sort of just, you know, draw that analogy and say, okay, well, this is the, race is a typically is an example of a mining company that, then in the 80s and 90s had a hell of a lot of money spent on it um, and then for whatever reason was abandoned. Um, and we've seen a lot of companies, you know, rise from the ashes in, in, that, in that exact example where they've had a huge amount of money spent on it. For whatever reason, a big mining company has moved on to, you know, greener pastures or browner pastures or however you want to phrase it um, and just drop those assets. And then a small junior has come along and picked it up and, um, spent the money on it and got the um, uh, um, reframed the geology to be more um, up to date, and you know, then rest is history. And uh, and if you look at um, race in that particular example, what is very very similar in a sense that it was a drug that was around in it was um, registered in France in the eighties. Um, a hell of a lot of money was spent on it. They they did some studies with some two thousand patients now. To do that in this day and age, that would cost millions of dollars. So it's literally had millions of dollars spent on this particular drug in the 80s and the early 90s. And for whatever reason, it was um, it was dropped, but it was being used at the time. So if you're looking at a, from a risk-reward perspective, you've got to favour this one to be, you know, because biotechs are similar to mining, right? When a drill hole goes down, it's quite binary. There's either something there or there's not. And, uh, and at that stage, you're either made a hell of a lot of money or you just lost, you know, almost 100% of it. And a lot of the time in the biotech space is very similar. So um, to be in a position now where the company has, has got the previous data, has done previous studies, um, 
you know, it, it can potentially qualify for an exemption from the FDA to, to um, fast track those studies by um, now doing some more research and making it so that those results that were evident in the 80s and 90s are now essentially just updated for 2020. And uh, and so from a risk return point of view, I look at this one as, yes, there's risk. There's always risk in whatever we do and there's always risk in biotechs. Um, but I look at this one from a risk return point of view and, you know, I'm pretty comfortable holding um, the position that we've got, which is growing, you know, quite substantially. And, and you know, we, we, we will put more money in as the time comes. Um, so I'm pretty comfortable holding this for, you know, it's a dollar a share roughly at these points in time. You know, I'd be looking for a couple of dollars a share in a, in a near-term target. And then after that, you know, over time, you know, you have to be selling down as well just because from a funds management point of view or from a risk point of view, you've just got to start mitigating it. But the time for doing that's not really now. It's, it's you know, probably still got a fair bit of upside before we need to do that. And so they've got phase two coming up for acute myeloid leukaemia, which is a, obviously a... a a big market are they fully funded to get through those phase two phase two trials yeah yeah we did a um we led a sort of capital raise just recently of of three million dollars at 60 cents um it was just us and uh, uh and, a, and a couple of other investors that i've um you know rolled around with in the past and uh and so that essentially means the company is fully funded for the for the next couple of years um i believe there'll be some Sort of options exercised and, and whatnot as well in time too so um, it means the company and the company runs on a smell of an oily rag and this is the difference between you know the the, the board controls about 25 percent of the stock on issue and the boards put their own dough in you know so it's not it's not free shares that have come from anywhere and i think this is a real key difference in the sense that people have put their own money in specifically the board and, uh, and, you know, so the company is run on a, on a smell of an oily rag. The guys can, um, uh, you know, there's no obscene salaries. There's none of that sort of stuff going on. Um, yeah, it's got a hundred mil market cap, but it's, it's still run like a, um, you know, like a 10 mil market cap in terms of expenses. And when you look, look down for the next 24 months, what are some potential milestones that you could see RAC hitting that could get them to re-rate? And maybe talk about when, if there is going to be a commercial transaction, when are those most likely to come in in, in a biotech stock like this? Um, like in a, in a biotech drug stock like this, um, a lot of those commercial transactions start to, to really, um, or M&A type transactions start to heat up after phase two. So before you get into phase three, because phase three is typically where um, every drug is different and every company is different and every requirement of that company is different from the regulator. So it's hard to, to quantify the exact number, but typically companies like this start to um, attract attention um, from the, the, the big pharma people um, once they've done a couple of studies and, and where, um, where race is now, I think, um, you know, we'll probably start or the company will probably start to attract a little bit of attention shortly um and and look to be honest it helps to have a chairman um who actually ironically is a is a perth gentleman but lives in new york um and he's a a, a guy by the name of dr john cullity and he's been involved in in many um uh, sort of m a transactions over the years with various oncology companies and, and whatnot so it helps to have um 
you know, the board that's stacked with commercial people. Um, recently, you know, a gentleman by the name of Philip Lynch came onto the board. He's ex-Johnson & Johnson. Um, so it's starting to, the company's starting to, to develop into a company that, you know, that is suitable for an M&A type transaction. There was a report recently from the um, City of Hope uh, independent um, report out of the US that showed Bisentrine to have some efficacy in, in looking at breast cancer and whatnot. So, you know, a lot of the sort of the ducks are lining up, if you like, um, in terms of building it out to be a potential M&A transaction. And you're pretty familiar with uh, biotech and the, the, the medical space. You've also got uh, Merchant, also got a holding in Siena and Bard One Life Sciences. You know, is there any relationship that those three companies could have down the track where they could complement one another? Look, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's pretty separate. Um, you know, the Bard and Siena transaction, which is now merged into one, so that's that officially um, has happened just recently. So that's now just one company called Bard One. Um, that uh, that is more in the diagnostic space. So whilst there are some overlap in terms of it, it is cancer treatments and, and so on, um, Bard One is more about the, the diagnostic, so more of the, the front end, if you like, um, for want of a better expression, and, and um, race is more the back end. So race is more about treatment, um, whereas um, the Bard One entity now is more about the diagnostic side of things. Beautiful, mate. Well, thanks for coming on and sharing the story. Hope it goes well. No problems. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Jeff. This episode of Talk Your Book was proudly brought to you by Honan, who go beyond a transactional insurance broker to deliver better outcomes for their clients. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest.